Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 161 of the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. I want to say thank you for listening. I want to say thank you that we are now number three in the world for communication skill podcasts. Is that not the coolest thing ever? I remember being shocked. I mean, like falling on the floor shocked a couple years ago. When I got an email saying, you're number nine in the world under communication skills. And I thought, wow, I had no idea. And then earlier this year, I realized that you know, I kept noticing an uptick in traffic to the different podcast outlets, you know, speak up with Laura Camacho. And then I saw that it was number five. And then last month it was number four. And now it's number three. So thank you very much. We have a great guest today. Her name is Gina London. And she is the CEO of a consulting firm called The Language of Leadership, which you know is right up our alley. She's been a TEDx speaker. She's an executive advisor. And even though her last name is London, she's actually based in Ireland. So that's kind of funny. And she is a professional communicator. She used to work for CNN. I, I don't remember what else, but she's done. But she's done a lot of public speaking, a lot of help with people speaking and getting visibility with authentic confidence. So we're going to talk to her in just a minute. I want to remind you, our sponsor is the new book, The Practical Guide to Effective Communication that I wrote to codify all these nuggets of wisdom, my, my unique approach to communication. It starts in your mind. It starts with even how you see communication and how you see, you know, even reframe uh, the politics of uh, corporate life. It's not politics, it's relationships. And it's, the book is very introvert friendly. And you as a leader can use that to coach your team and yourself to be more effective communicators. And that's going to bring you much more success. So thank you for tuning in. And now we will talk to our guest, Gina London. All right. I told you I was going to let Gina talk, but I forgot that I have to share how Gina and I came to be having this conversation because she's in Dublin. I'm in Charleston. How did we meet? And we met through a client that I was coaching last year in 2021 and maybe early 2022. And he said, do you know Gina London? And I said, nope. And he said, well, you remind me of her. You need to meet her. Oh, and also, I think I had sent him a like an episode of a podcast that I thought was relevant to whatever he and I were talking about. And he's like, you need to have Gina London on your podcast. I'm like, okay. So I reached out to her and she was very gracious. And she ended up interviewing me for uh, a paper, an article she was writing in, in Ireland. And we had the devil of a time getting together. She had, she rescheduled once, maybe twice. And then something, oh yeah. And then we were doing, we were in the middle of the interview, like 15 minutes in and my Wi-Fi completely went out. Of course, no previous notice. I don't know what's going on. I'm freaking out, trying to do this. And we were having home uh, work. And so I was in the car instead of my office because of the noise. It was just a mess. 
And then the, then it was rescheduled. And then my daughter, my not my daughter, my granddaughter had to go to the emergency, not emergency care, but the urgent care for an allergic reaction. And I totally blew off Gina. And then here we are. So this is going to be an amazing conversation. Thank you, Gina, for being so persistent and, and patient. And tell us, just tell us about yourself and your journey to being the CEO of the language of leadership. <laughs> wow, what a buildup, Laura, for everyone who stayed through that. This is going to be worth the wait, folks. It's absolutely <laughs> going to be worth the wait. <laughs> from, um, but thank you for your patience and your persistence. And I'm glad we're here talking together. And as people are already hearing from my voice, as you've been saying, well, my last name is London. I live in Ireland. They're probably expecting this lovely melodic lilt and they're hearing this flat <laughs> American accent. Well, I was born in Indiana and my path to what I do now in terms of helping executives and organizations really power up their leadership communications comes from my initial background, which was developing myself as a little girl growing up in a town called Farmland, Indiana. And it really is just as the descriptor, it's the name, and it also is the descriptor. It's just as you can imagine. I wanted to be a journalist. I was an avid reader, and I read newspapers, and I watched television, and I saw these current events happening in these exotic places. And I thought, that's my way to get out and to tell stories of other people. And I was enthralled by nonfiction. I think there's a lot of great fiction out there, but gosh, there's more than we can imagine from, from nonfiction in real life. But at any rate, one of the things that struck me early on, I was about 10, 11 years old, even when I wanted to be this journalist. And I wrote a letter to the editor in a newspaper that got published in a town near me, et cetera, when I was about 13. But right around this time of formulating your dreams and also yourself as a human being, my mother went up to her hometown, which was not farmland, Indiana, but it was near the Chicago region, a little bigger, a little bigger area, a little bigger city to visit her best friend who would often cut our hair with my brother, my sister, and myself, as she was a salon hairdresser, and she would do our hair for next to nothing when we were visiting family. And the reason I shared this story is because inevitably they had this little routine, my mother and her best friend, and her friend would look over at me and say something like, it's such a cute little hillbilly girl that you adopted. She has such a cute little accent. I think she should have a little stock of wheat coming out of her mouth. And I remember this was not just one time it was said. It was this habitual little comedy routine that they took great energy out of it. I was really at that. I, remember, I don't remember when the actual light bulb went on, but I thought, if I want to be a journalist, and in particular, I had this lofty, unimaginable dream of being a television journalist. I cannot speak the way I currently speak. And after, by the time I went to college, then I was sort of working on neutralizing my accent because, for example, I ultimately became, as you know, a White House correspondent for nearly 10 years with CNN in the nation's capital, which I used to pronounce as a little girl, Washington. And there, I'm not saying that accents are a problem depending on where you want to go. And I'm not telling people to deny who they are and to become something different. But it was the beginning of my awareness of developing myself and taking my dream and layering on skills and abilities and qualities that would be more reflective of the me I wanted to be. So by the time I got to graduate from Indiana University, 
moving to newspapers first in Orlando and then ultimately to Washington, D.C. Washington, notice that. <laughs> right. I had developed a little bit more of a neutral accent, but I didn't have some of the other things that I learned through time on camera, the storytelling, being able to crystallize a story and frankly oversimplify a lot of complexity and projecting my voice, having on-camera presence. And so through that lens of that professional journalism TV thing, I then, after my CNN career, I was able to do some more strategic communications as I went on to become an international campaign strategist. And I lived and worked in exotic places like Egypt and Iraq and, and Jordan and, and Cambodia. I got to work with the first women for example, who were running for parliament from Iraq and to help them tell their stories and separate themselves from a pack of men, frankly, who were running in the, the newly developed country and, and government of, of that in like 2005 it was amazing. And that, I guess, intersection of strategic communications, persuading people, telling captivating stories, and then the mechanics of how to do that construction and delivery, that then has propelled me into working with corporations now, executives, emerging leaders, really any human being now who wants to become more confident and more comfortable about the way they connect with others and with themselves. That's what I do. And it's really my just heart and passion. And it brings that, us together. Here we are. Yes, it's so true. I, I did not know that story of the, you know, how people were perceiving you because of the way you were presenting yourself in a very authentic way. But I have a similar experience that I just shared in this week's newsletter. It came up. I don't remember why, but I also remember going to camp away. I grew up in Georgia. I was born in South Carolina. Mm used to have a very, apparently, I didn't know it was that, you know, when we're young, we don't know we have accents, right? We just talk the way we talk and going away to camp and having people make fun of that accent, which I was, you know, cognitive dissonance. I, in the moment, like, what, what do you mean? What accent, what accent are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I also, you know, I realized that they were some, you know, it was bewildering how you could think that somebody just because of this accent is not intelligent. And I wanted to say, well, I'm a straight A student, but I didn't. But, you know, it does bring up that, that conundrum that, that we face about, because we all know that if we're trying to be someone that, who we're not, it is not going to come across as confident. And we're, I'm always saying, be yourself, be yourself. So where, how do you navigate the being yourself you know, if you feel like part of yourself is not socially acceptable or not uh, going to be help you achieve your goals. I love this question. It is a conundrum and it is something that people do grapple with. And my clients, too. I mean, I've had a couple of things. I've had executives tell me at the end of an get coaching engagement with me. I said, you know, what's one of your biggest takeaways? And they one in particular said to me recently, I found that it's not cheating. And I love that. And yet oh. I've also had, I've also had initial reactions that when I was, we're talking about some techniques or strategies or purposeful communications, again, to help inspire and motivate. And I've had someone say, you know what, 
People just need to take me or leave me. This is who I am. And here's the crux of this authenticity conundrum, which I think we're we're talking about. The word authenticity has become really a buzzword of all buzzwords. Be yourself, be yourself, be your authentic self, bring your whole self to work, all of this stuff. And you can also have development and growth and awareness and ability skill, just like yourself. When, you, when I was 10 years old in Farmland, Indiana, is not any less who I am today. It's just been enriched and accentuated and developed. So here is the definition of authenticity that I absolutely love and preach out to all of my clients and all your wonderful listeners now. Authenticity is the, de- is the degree to which a person's identified values are consistent with their actions and their desired outcomes. So you connect your actions with your values and the desired outcomes. And that is really important to get a hold of because first of all, it requires that you identify your values. Mm-hmm. And that I think is something that a lot of people kind of bounce around their life, reacting to things and defending things and digging in on certain things and kind of haven't really stopped and done that internal work. Like, you know, who am I? What do I stand for? What is my quote brand? Who's the me that I want to bring to this relationship to enrich the relationship? And we're assuming, of course, that you're doing all of this stuff for positive outcomes, by the way, because you can certainly use your powers for good or for division. We've seen that Mm -hmm. in, in a number of different situations, but my leadership communications foundational principles are based on positivity and unifying and togetherness. So Back to the idea, identify your values, think backwards from what that goal is, how are you going to have a mutually beneficial outcome, and then make some mindful choices. Don't bounce around like a pinball in a pinball machine, reacting to things because you haven't prepared, you haven't thought about who your audience is and what motivates them and what are their hopes, dreams, and fears that you can reassure around, and then construct an engaging way of delivering or engaging content. And then don't just expect that your content's going to be enough, especially in business land. Bring some humanness to it. Bring some energy. Bring some emotion. Think about the emotions behind that content that you create. So I love unpacking all of those interconnected, simultaneously happening things that occur when we are communicating or experiencing someone else. I love unpacking them one by one. And then I love examining them together with clients and then repackaging them in a purposeful and a mindful and a meaningful way. And that to me is the glory of your self-acceptance can live in harmony with your self-improvement. They can grow together. Ta-da! Yeah, I love that. That that reminds me of one of my favorite ways to think about what you're saying, the, the balancing of your being your authentic self uh, along with self-development is that imagine that I had a 10-carat diamond just on my desk and imagine I showed it to you, you would say probably like, oh, that looks really nice. But, but if it's in a setting, a gold setting, then that same diamond ring is going to have a person much higher perceived value and people will be able to enjoy it more because of the setting, even though it's the same diamond. So that's 
you know, that's what brought to mind your story. I of- love that imagery. That's great visualization. Exactly. It's like you can imagine for I love that. Thanks, Laura. You know, you can have your perspective and your viewpoint and your opinion and your culture and your religion and your points of view. And that's your values once you've identified and you're really going to stand behind them. And the way that you choose to share those in a conversation or in a team meeting or in an interview, it takes some wisdom and it takes some choices. The idea of being true and bringing your whole self doesn't mean that you're the bull in a china shop just going around crashing through everything. I mean, you can do that. Right. You're not going to show them the work. I mean, your elbow. <laughs> you know, we're, we're also multifaceted and, you know, we can, we can yell our opinions or we can ask for someone else's point of view and then share based on what you're hearing from them. And the idea of being a purposeful communicator, understanding that our conversations are our relationships. I don't see it as this burdensome responsibility. I see it as a wonderful opportunity. Why would you not want to bring more people with you? Again, I know there's leadership style and communication style that foments all the worst in humans. I'm certainly not one who's going to be out there championing and advocating that style. I'm absolutely going to stand here and beg people to really get meaningful about kindness and how we do that to bring people together is more honest conversations, but in a way that respects and cares for each other. Right. It's like saying the truth with charity. You don't just say, what's wrong with you? You say, have you thought, you know, what do you think about your performance in this project? Tell me what, where are you coming from? Yeah, it, it, it's, but it, yeah, it's just saying things that need to be said in a way that makes it easier for people to receive them, which is, of course, a little bit more effort, more work. Right. It's uh, yeah. more, more burden it on It takes you. more work. Lord, there's strategy, there's structure, and there's delivery techniques. And why would you not want to learn them the same way you learn how to be a data processor or how you learn how to do web design or how you learn any skill, an engineer, a doctor, any skill that's worth learning is worth learning well. And by golly, communications is everything. I mean, we've got augmented augmented reality and AI and and all sorts of digital learning things that are going to replace a lot of jobs and a lot of humans, then we really owe it to ourselves to learn the human stuff so well. Right. Separate us and distinguish ourselves. So let's learn these things because they are learnable. And that's really important. It's teachable. It's trainable. It's a lifetime commitment. It's not certainly something that's a one and done workshop, but get excited about it, endeavor it, recalibrate. And I hope, you know, get excited about your development because again, if you can accelerate your connections with someone and then accelerate through that, the work and the innovation and the creation and all the other good stuff that can be the outcomes of that, why on earth would you stand back and go, well, no, just take me as I am. Yes, yeah, that's of like a false humility, I think, or of some sort. I think so too. That's yeah, great description. And you know, the I know you people listening are the good, the people that uh, are over delivering, over performing, and yet feel like sometimes you're not getting the credit for the work. And I know a lot of listeners, specifically 
are concerned about kindness and saying, and so sometimes they don't say what needs to be said because it will quote unquote hurt someone's feelings. Mm, and then as, as we started to speak in our, when we were rudely interrupted by the internet going out, I, I had just had my third or fourth case of a young manager trying to be kind to the people working for it was most it was all females and I don't know if it was if that's a, what the correlation is but those are four conversations where the leader thought that the kind response was to pick up the slack to actually do the mm -hmm. task of the people that were reporting into that leader rather that it just seemed like mission impossible to hold them accountable mm -hmm. and it didn't seem like the kind thing to do so gina tell us yeah, how can you yeah, be kind with underperformers yeah. yeah well again okay case study it's a great it's a great question the idea of remember working backwards from what's the goal is the goal just to get the work done well then every leader can probably do things because they're a senior and they probably know how to do things faster but if the goal is really to empower and educate and encourage your team members so that they also can feel independence, that sense of autonomy, that sense of great reward of having a job well done or completed, then we've got to delegate. Again, we've got to be able to have difficult conversations to be able to provide worthwhile and actionable feedback, not just quick observations that don't have any real specifics attached to it. But again, the more that you can work back to what is the goal? What are my steps to achieve it? How am I going to bring people, again, awareness, responsibility, and suggest, suggested and commitments around an action plan to achieve it? It can't just be too, we've got the old command and control style where we just tell everybody to do what? do everything. Then we've got the, maybe the overly kindness where it could be potentially be a, a pushover. We're so nice that everybody just walks right over us. And we know that, that the leader is going to do everything. That's also not empowering and growing our teams. Because I think right. a team member, to get them excited, they want to see their own path to progression. They want to see themselves being able to move up the ladder or they're going to go into another organization. So you've got to be able to set, set boundaries manage expectations, understand that your assumption that the team member assumes where you're going to go with all of this is understood is probably wrong. So right. ask them, ask more questions, ask more questions, get them to get the, make the, make the jumps and the leaps, and then have them even come up with their own change management plan or their professional development plan. And then you are helping them to achieve right. as opposed to doing it for them. So you can be kind and you can also be someone who is helping the others do the work. Right. It is not kind, I think, to do what other people can do for themselves and it's because it's not helping them to be successful. It's Correct. just like with, you know, those of you who have children, we all know it's much easier to clean the kid's room than to have them clean it. But do you want to have a 21-year-old who doesn't know how to clean his or her room? No, you oh, do not. Yes. <laughs> and, that, so, and you know what? This is why the wonderful example, Laura, because these things are not limited to our jobs. We right. don't have a professional life and a personal life. We don't have one communication style for professional life and one different style for the personal life. We only have a life. And P.S., 
when I'm not talking on a podcast or I'm not in front of clients, I still say Washington to this day. That is because <laughs> it is who I am now. And that's the whole point of this is like, as you're on this path of purpose and learning more about how to behave and correct, connect your actions to your thoughts. And it's an ongoing thing, but it is something that it becomes you no matter what communication event you're having. And that's really important. So you're not just saving it for the big high stakes things. You're trying to do this stuff purposefully all the time. And that's going to help you be able to move from what I say is the default where we are right now Mm -hmm. in design. And then that design communications and leadership style becomes your new default with the strategy techniques. And that's really important. I mean, one example I give about learning these new skills and how to become the new you then is when I moved from the U.S. to Ireland. So I've been here now seven years. And one of the first things I did was I had to buy a car. Well, for those of you who are listening who don't know, Ireland drives on the left side of the road, not the right side of the road. (laughs) And if you have bought a car and you are handed by the dealer the car keys and they expect you just to drive away, it is terrifying. (laughs) I know. Because your whole body by default has learned to drive. You've got this just instinctive way of driving and you come up to one of those many roundabouts that they're really fond of here in Ireland and in Europe. And your whole body wants to go in the opposite direction. And it takes a lot of force of will and mindfulness to go in the other direction because otherwise you're going to crash into something. Yeah, so- no, I, I got to drive in South Africa. I'm visiting my son and I felt like the cars were going to run into me. And my it's- son, of course, could, couldn't stand it and made me, <laughs> I, he just couldn't, st- he said I was going to get us killed because I kept driving too close to the center of the road. It was totally disorienting. And- then that's it. And so that's the same exact idea when if, if someone's trying to say, oh, I want to project my voice or I want to enunciate words better. I work with a lot of second language English speakers who work in English dominated organizations. And there's an, there can be an, an insecurity or a self-consciousness factor about how well am I understood? Right. And working, working through some muscle memory around pronunciation is a little bit like relearning to drive because we've got into habits. We've got right. into habits in our in our decision making, in our reactions, in our preparation or lack of preparation for conversations and for meetings. And all of that stuff takes a little effort, like mm-hmm. you were describing in South Africa. But over time, if your son hadn't taken the wheel, you would <laughs> And you would have had a safe place to practice. You would have gone into a space. Oh, absolutely. Now I can do that, which I promise anyone coming to Ireland, it's safe on the roads with me driving. I have a full (laughs) Irish driver's license now. It's all good. (laughs) But it it does take work. It does take work. And it's, but it's worth it. And it can can feel awkward and it can feel inauthentic. But then again, I think leaning on your purpose and your values. And do you have a, a specific exercise you know, a DIY that the people listening to this can say, yeah, what I mean, I'm in, you know, honesty and excellence. And, you know, these we kind of had this vague idea of what's important to us. How, how critical is it? How useful is it to actually do an exercise and, and to just uh, label 
I don't know, three or five values that are important. The, the, the value, the value work is important. And I always say three, I, I try to go for mm -hmm. a magic number of three, because in right. anything that I do, my methodology or my techniques are largely divided into three, because I simply can't remember more than that. So, <laughs> right. what your, so what are your first three values? Write those top ones down. The other ones are probably subsects, subsects anyway. Right. But then what I try to do, though, for my three parts of strategy for any kind of communication, be it with your teenage daughter like I have or a colleague or a super supervisor, I just have three letters, A-I-M. So here's how you apply AIM. Think about your audience first. And this can take 20 minutes. It can take 30 seconds. The idea here is to think about it. Who are they? And I don't mean just demographics. Are they a new hire? Are they a supervisor? Are they a woman? Are they from whatever culture? Are they a direct communicator? Are they financially based? Are they more emotional? They're in marketing. Who are they in terms of how they want communication? Are they, do they need their coffee on a Monday morning? Is it a Friday afternoon where they're really relaxed? Find out as much as you can about that person if you can. And then the next thing is the letter I. The intent is what do you want them to do? with what you're going to say. Mm -hmm. If it's a policy change or you're asking for a raise or whatever it is, I find so many people do not have clarity on this. They have a mm -hmm. theme, they have a general idea. I mean, I've worked with top level C-suite people that think they're gonna be speaking to the press and they haven't even nailed their messages. They don't actually know what that goal is. And that blows my mind. So understand really clearly, it's not just to inform, it's an intent of action. What do you want them to do? Even if it's just agreed to another meeting, know that. So then the third letter is M for message. Then you can say it. And I don't mm -hmm. mean, again, think it. I want you to write down eight words or less of what the it is. What do you want them to do? And not just what, but why. Why is it going to improve their life? Why is it going to make something better? If there's a why attached to it and you got to be tight and you got to be emotional, aspirational, then you're more likely to get that agreement and moving forward to actually actioning it. And I promise you, this sounds so much simpler. Simple doesn't always mean easy, right? But right. this application can be very iterative and change the way you think about approaching a one-on-one, -on -one, a team meeting, a big time presentation. Most times they're just throwing a bunch of information in a presentation yes. that somebody knows what the heck is the point. But right. people checked out because they're like, I don't know what it's in there. There's nothing in there for me. Or you're not using language that's that's evocative to them because you're right. doing really technical stuff and they're the chief marketing officer or right. the other way around. And it's just this kind of stuff seems so basic, but it isn't done consistently. And so aim, practice aim there. That's my my strategy. Oh, tip thank you. All right. Have everybody wrote that down. Aim audience, intent and message and the message. You should be able to be able to condense it in eight words or less and include the what and the why, because that's what people that's what moves. Yeah, people is the why we're doing more, it. And one more quick point. Say that out loud, folks. Don't just do a presentation on writing or your okay. practice out loud preparation. Practice it out loud because the way that you are going to say it in the hot seat right. is going to be 
You, you need to get that muscle memory. You need to hear yourself say it out loud. You need to say it with emotion. You need to say it with energy, passion, whatever that is that you're bringing to it. If you're just intellectually thinking about it and reading it, I guarantee you're going to stumble. You're going to put in a bunch of filler words. You're not going to be clear. And you're going to undercut the authority of what it is you're trying to say. Exactly. You and you lose your audience. <laughs> And that's why they didn't get it because it was not clear. Yes. And it, 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 it does require, right. And that's everybody's overworked, overwhelmed, overzoomed, exhausted, and destructive. Yes. You could, that's one thing you can know about your audience. Yes. Um, unless you're giving you can out apply free that money. to written. You can apply that to written. Emails are so way too long. People do way oh, too much in emails. Yes. And nobody reads emails. They skim them. And you wonder why you have to have this check out the thread of what was said because nobody knows what was said anymore because you're doing <laughs> too much in an email. Right. Right. That's a great point. And and also I think that why I think we have to understand that the communication is not just the transfer of information, that it's like trying to uh, really transfer, transform or transfer priorities and ways of thinking about things, right? Because if it's just going to be a transfer of information, just Google it. Correct. I love that. Yeah. It's, there's always a selling or a persuasion piece of something. Why are you sending it? What do you want them to do? Say it and say it why so that it's compelling for them so they feel motivated to do it. If it's just change for the sake of change, nobody wants to do that. No, that's right. Well, that's right. well, that's where this time is going by so quickly, Gina. And I want to address an issue that I get at well, too, really. I want you to, I want to talk about visibility and I want to talk about storytelling. And I want you to think specifically of people who are a little bit, they're, they're not born with the gift of gab. They're more thoughtful. They're, they don't, they don't want to quote unquote waste people's time, you know, bringing up things. And then they notice that. You know, their colleague Pam or, or Bob brought up exactly what they were going to say. Like, speak to that. We have a lot of highly conscientious people with self, high self-awareness in this audience who are doing great work. And yet they feel like sometimes there is not recognized. That's okay. So working visibly, first of all, it comes in many forms and it's not just tooting your horn. It's not the one that's always going out and golfing with the boss or whatever. There are lots of other things that you can do, but I think it's important to try to do them. So one is have a great attitude, Mm -hmm. say yes to projects. Don't always say yes back to our overly kind thing, right? but do, do try to put yourself forward and be the encourager for others be that champion, be that one who's leaning in on trying to do some things. So that's one. Also, I do think that relationship building and networking is important. And so you can find different ways to do that. Even if you're just asking your supervisor for a five-minute virtual or real-life coffee to say, just, I want to get to know more about your professional journey, that's a real easy hook. A lot okay. of people can talk themselves out of reaching out because they justify all the different reasons why it isn't there's no reason to do it or they're too senior or or whatever reason. Yeah. So yes, do work visibly. And then for those of you who are thinking about how do I become a little more engaging and add story. And you were also just talking Laura about how sometimes stories can be really 
overly complex and you worry that right. I don't know how to be succinct and I haven't climbed Mount Everest. So I don't have a real story to tell. Right. I didn't have to <laughs> saw off my arm to save my yeah. life. Therefore, I don't have a story. Exactly. I once had, I once had the communications director of a really, really large multinational beverage company based in Stockholm. You can figure out what it is. Um, <laughs> she, she said that she was, the, she never did personal stories because quote, she never done anything interesting and it broke my heart. So a couple of things. Think about that the length of the story as, isn't as, as important as the connection or the relevance or your own little personal anecdote. And the more personal it is, often the more it is. And by personal, I mean like family and birthdays and a meaningful event. It doesn't have to be the grandiose mountain climbing or fighting off right. the shark. So have a connect to the theme. Like, let's say the theme is we need to prioritize for Q3. And so there's a word priority. I like to help my clients identify a key word priority. Okay. Now, as you're prepping, or you can, the more you do this, you'll get faster. Priority is my keyword. What's a story from my childhood or from my recent past or an anecdote that works around priority? And I actually had this happen with a client in um, Southeastern Europe just in April. And his word was priority. So this is the example. And he said, I said, what's your, so what's your story around it? And he said, I was doing a whole bunch of meetings back to back virtual land. Like I was working from home. And my three-year-old son came walking into the zoom room and said, daddy, would you please build this train set with me? And his initial response was no way. I don't have time. And he clicked and said, wait, you're my priority. And so he stopped and he Worked a little Thomas tank engine, you know, it took like five oh, minutes. It wasn't like right. this elaborate giant set with trees. And, right. houses and, and when he was done, he said, his little son looked up at him and said, daddy, you're my best friend. I love oh, you. And Laura and everyone that's listening, that example was given in a workshop where we were working with these managing directors on how to embed story. Here's what was fascinating to me. The very next day, I was invited to the conference plenary session for this organization. And I had no idea that that guy was going to be actually telling at the kickoff of the conference a story about reprioritizing for the next quarter. And suddenly, I'm not even joking. I'm just in the audience of like hundreds of people. Suddenly, I see as he's talking and they've got charts and figures, a slide comes up and it is that little child. And I know it was because I sat next to him at the dinner the night before and he'd show me a picture of his son. And I thought it was like a stock photo. It was so gorgeous with a uh -huh. little train. And he told that story and it took about 20 seconds. Love and that. here's what happened. As soon as he then looped the point, which is important, loop your point then of why that was significant to mm -hmm. your keyword and mm -hmm. draw it back out to your mm -hmm. audience about why prioritizing can give so many rewards. And then as soon as he did that, I saw the entire audience spontaneously stand up and applaud this guy. Oh and my I, gosh. You know, and as a and as a trainer, you don't always get to see right. what your coaching, how it, how it impacts people and how they use it or they don't use it, right? I almost <laughs> cried because this is the power of a small story inserted as a parenthetical or an anecdote or as an example, but it's human. It connects with us as people. Many of us have kids. Many of us have known a kid. Many of us were once a kid. And, and these little seemingly small moments 
can have real punch and they can change the face that that person has or the impact that person has with other people. It can change the tone of a meeting. It can change the way people are feeling like, oh, another boring, all sorts right. of, you know, financials type of meeting. It suddenly makes it more human. So please try this. Find your keyword, connect it to a little story, make it short, link it back to the point, and then keep going. But watch what it does to people. And I know that was a long example about how no, to tell no, short no. stories, but yeah, I hope no. it was significant. <laughs> no, that is so good because I think a lot of people in our audience, like myself and former and once upon a time, think of stories as, you know, climbing Mount Everest or, or you know, we uh, in general, a lot of more introverted professionals have a very high bar for speaking up because they think it has to like change the world, solve world hunger, and then I'll speak yeah. up. But you're, that's a very simple anecdote. And I got goosebumps when you were telling, telling it. And what a great example for him as a leader to share who he really is. Yes. Right? And, I can and that's what people Lord, connect to. This guy, and I didn't know him that well, because I come in for this workshop, I was meeting everyone for the first time, it was a five day conference. And by the end of the time, I felt like I knew them very well. But one at the coffee break, someone came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I knew that that he had, he told me that he was in, in, inserting this that morning, because I mean, it was that close. Oh, of a yeah. And she says, Gina, before he told that story, my perception of him was that he was Mr. Slick. Mr. Gloss, Mr. Everything was perfect. We never heard about his personal side. And she says, in that short amount of time, it just changed the way that I felt about him as a human being, therefore also as a leader and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, but you just, the, the, the ramifications from a small story, again, you think, oh, storytelling, that's so cheesy. It can really change the dynamic of team morale, employee engagement, organizational culture and the transparency of that leader. Absolutely. So I expect everyone listening to use this very simple technique. What is the keyword? What is the crux? What is the essence of your message? And then you can tell a story. It doesn't have to be a life-changing event. It can be, yeah, that you helped your child put together a train or you picked up some trash or for somebody or you ripped your stockings on a cold winter day and how did you replace them? I mean, that's what we yeah. identify with. Yeah. Little human moments. It's what connects us as people. We, we, you know, we, we stubbed our toe. We were late for the train. Right. We, we missed the deadline. We, whatever, these types of things can really be impactful. And we often overlook them because we're looking for that grandiose next American novel. Right, exactly. So forget about that. Just let's share. And I know you guys listening, you people listening are very conscious of not wasting people's time and of getting to the point and not going around and around. So you can tell a meaningful story in 20 seconds or less. So I expect you to do so. And please let, please let <laughs> us know when, when you have a great story. And uh, this, this has been so good. I you know we covered... Uh, being authentic and what that really means and how you can be authentic and polished if that's something that's important to you and how, you know, how to 
really show up as the person you want to be reflecting the values and even use this story technique to share your values with your team because you're constantly, I mean, the people listening, I'm talking to you, you're constantly coaching, whether you're aware of it or not, you're coaching not only the team that reports to you, but your colleagues, they're looking at you and seeing, you know, how how does Salamat do this? Or how does Laura do this? Or how does Mark do this? You know, we're impacting people a lot more than we realize. So it helps to use that aim. Who is your audience? What is your intent? What is your key message? So thank you, Gina, for this practical and impactful wisdom that you've shared. Tell, um, you know, everyone listening, how they can follow you or get in touch with you. If they, especially, I, we have a few uh, European uh, members of the audience. Somebody I know that's listening is in Denmark as as we speak, and there's some people from Spain and UK. So, how can people get in touch with you? Fantastic. Well, I'm global. That's the beauty of the virtual world. So you can find me and we can we can connect through a Zoom or what have you um, through a couple of things. First of all, I am really delighted to share that I do have an online video learning platform called the Language of Leadership. So that's my name, name of my company. It's also the name of the platform, languageofleadership.org. If you are interested at all, we have 120 videos and downloadable wow. PDFs that bring you on your own pace through a journey of executive presence, awareness of body language, working on your voice, working on your engagement, your writing. I mean, it just, it really goes on and on and you have open access to it if you'd like it. And we have a summer sale going on too. So hi. Oh, all right. Okay. That's languageofleadership.org. You can find me personally at my own website, which is ginalondon.com. Also, I'm active on LinkedIn, which is how we met our mutual friend who then introduced it. I mean, it's the power of relationships. Yes. I'm also active, yes. of course, on, on the other social platforms, but LinkedIn in particular, I'm, I'm really active there. I'm just, I have a heart to help any human being if they're oh. committed and they want to put the work in to raise their awareness, improve their desire, and really get into the day-to-day -day hard work discipline, what I call my ad principle, to mm -hmm. transform, not just inform, but to transform the way that we behave because our actions shape our thoughts and that's how we connect. Ah, so beautiful. Well, this has been great. All right, everybody. I hope you've been taking notes as I have and we thank Gina and we will get together on the next episode. Thank you for listening.